Hi, this is County Executive Barry Glassman, and you're listening to Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, we're back to remote recording via Skype. We have been chronicling our journey as we go through this pandemic with the podcast. Sometimes we make it down to Conduit (laughs) Street. Sometimes uh, we are remote, but we're back to remote today. How are you doing? How are things holding up with you and the family? Everybody's okay out this way. How about you and yours? Doing very well. Thank you. And today on the podcast, we're going to continue our coverage of MAKO's 2021 legislative initiatives by discussing our focus on building out broadband so that all Maryland residents have access to stable, reliable, and high-speed internet. And I'd like to welcome Drew Jabin, MAKO's policy associate with us. Information technology, broadband, this all falls within her issue areas. Drew is going to help us walk through this initiative, and we also have a special guest to help as well. Right, Drew? Yeah, definitely. So thanks for having me on. Um, You know, with the pandemic, COVID has demonstrated the importance of access to high-speed internet, whether it's closing the homework gap for students that are relying on the internet for distance learning or Marylanders teleworking. And then, of course, you have telemedicine and telehealth. We're seeing the whole country kind of grapple with how to ensure that all residents are connected. And so on that note, I'm super excited to introduce Kenrick Gordon, who is an expert on all things broadband and is the director of the state's office of rural broadband, who's going to join us today to talk about the state's efforts in this arena. So welcome, Rick. Well, thank you for having me, Drew. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, definitely. So if you would like, could you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what you do, what your role entails? So uh, I'm an engineer. I always try and make that clear to people that they're uh, having a discussion with an engineer, and, and I apologize for that. Um, that, means you, that means you speak a funny language, is that right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I've got over 30 years' experience in engineering. Uh, my last position, I spent uh, almost nine years at USDA working in their telecommunications division. Uh, I had a field territory in the Northeast, including Delaware, Maryland, and extending all the way up to Maine. In my role there, I, I administered their broadband projects and uh, promoted the broadband programs. In 2017, Governor Hogan created the Office of Rural Broadband by executive order, and he ultimately placed it at the Department of Housing and Community Development. Uh, and then in 2018, the governor's office, through uh, DHCD Secretary Holt, offered me the position of director. Uh, I, I had some uh, hard thinking to uh, leave federal service and, and come to Maryland, but I really liked the idea of uh, what I call shrinking my sandbox and uh, hope that I could focus more rather than having 11 states, just one. Uh, this is an entirely new office with new programs, new initiatives. Uh, as director, my role is to develop and implement the programs necessary to expand broadband into unserved rural areas. That lay of the land is is a good start for you, and it's it's the beginnings of something I think will be a common theme. That is, this governor and this administration being committed to this issue and taking it seriously. So the establishment of your office and your actual job 
is you know one of the milestones of that effort. I guess for 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 the benefit of our listeners, take a minute if you would and and kind of give us the lay of the land. If your focus is is rural, that's certainly a part of this equation, although that's not exclusively what Mako and and county leaders are interested in. But can you kind of kind of, you know, sort of set the stage of broadband deployment across our state? Um, how widespread is it? What do the areas look like that don't really have sufficient access to broadband? And maybe help us with some of those, you know, some of the terms that people get tossed around here, last mile and and things of that nature. So can you give us like the snapshot of where Maryland is right now? Sure. Um, so the goal is to connect everyone possible based on funding that's made available and the appetite of the local jurisdictions and providers. Uh, one of our main areas of focus is rural unserved, uh, where residents do not have any broadband access. Uh, I, I won't get down into the uh, nitty gritty of what that means. It's basically based on speed. I know obviously uh, we, we started with dial-up, came up through DSL, and now we have, uh, we have broadband. In Maryland, lack of broadband, there isn't a county in Maryland that doesn't have at least an area or neighborhood that's lacking broadband, which is, which is somewhat amazing. Montgomery County has their ag reserve. Prince George's County uh, in southern Prince George along the, the Charles County border, uh, they have areas lacking. Uh, Anne Arundel County uh, along the bay in the southern part of Anne Arundel County is, has areas that, that lack broadband. Um, you know, up along the Pennsylvania border and horse country uh, all across this, uh, the northern part of the state, western Maryland, the eastern shore, lower eastern shore, every part of Maryland has an address that lacks broadband of some sort. So it, it's, it's not something that is specific to one area or one type other than it's always a result of low density. Uh, there's just not enough homes for the current internet service provider to uh, to make back their 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 investment uh, in a timely manner, and uh, we we've designed programs using grant funds to try and help with that. And that that's how that's how our programs really work. Is we recognize the providers need help, need encouragement to go to these areas, and we're doing our best to uh, to to make it more attractive. Uh, you are correct, though. It's not just a rural issue. Uh, there's other areas and reasons why a household may not have access. Uh, they range from uh, lack of facilities, as we talked, uh, to economics, uh, to even multi-unit building owners who restrict service providers' access. Um, and while the focus of our efforts was initially connecting rural communities, rural households, uh, the pandemic has made needs apparent in some of our more urban and suburban areas. Uh, we just uh, provided nearly $8 million in grants to 22 school districts across the state to help ensure online learning could take place in every county. Um, so we, we do recognize that it's not just a rural issue and we are trying to, uh, to look and see what we might be able to do in some of the uh, urban and suburban areas as well. So, so I guess for, for those scoring at home, we would just ask that you circle that point in red marker that, you know, when, when Mako took this up and said, maybe this should be one of our statewide priorities for our whole organization, 
this wasn't a favor to little counties. This wasn't other jurisdictions say, well, you guys seem to care about it, so I guess it's fine. You know, we had we had our leaders from counties large and small say we've got underserved areas. They're hard to reach. The economics don't make sense for the private providers. And we know there are people who are being left behind. We want to help target that problem. And that came from all across the map of Maryland. So that's that's why MAKO is at the table on this, as opposed to just a handful of counties here or there. So it's a it's a big deal to us as the statewide organization and you know to the governor and his administration serving residents across Maryland. Yeah, and you know, Rick, I'd say, you know, Michael mentioning the governor, I think the governor announced a broadband initiative at our last summer conference. We didn't have one this year because of COVID, but I remember in his closing remarks, he mentioned that he was going to continue to focus on rural broadband. But Rick, too, this is not just an issue here in Maryland, right? I think, as Drew mentioned earlier, as you've mentioned, the pandemic has really laid bare the need to make sure that all residents of any state are connected when it comes to telemedicine, school, remote learning, and working from home. I mean, what are you seeing? I'm sure you have colleagues in other states that you're talking to. This is not just a Maryland issue, right? This is, I assume, every single state. Yes, uh, there, there's actually, it's called the State Broadband Leadership Network. Uh, it's run by the Department of uh, uh, NTIA. There are 35 of us, I believe, that are members of it. And uh, we, we actually just had our virtual conference last week. And, you know, presenting programs, talking about issues, Every state involved in that, uh, from California to New Hampshire, are all facing very similar problems uh, and are all looking at one another to see what we, we share information freely to to see what we might be able to to borrow from one another. It, it's definitely a, a nationwide problem. And Rick, you know, when you mentioned funding and when it comes to funding, I often see, you know, $10 million here, $10 million there. And we know that it's going to take a lot of money to incentivize providers and to make sure we have the infrastructure in place. Can you tell us a little bit about where we are when it comes to funding and the challenges that it, it presents when it comes to you know, local, state, and federal funding opportunities? How are we doing when it comes to that sort of funding and ultimately improving access here in Maryland? I mean, what are the opportunities out there and what are the challenges when it comes to money? So uh, there is, and I'll, I'll start with federal first. Uh, there is funding at the federal level. Um, USDA has funding programs. Uh, we provided assistance and funding to Eastern Utilities in Talbot County in their application to USDA. Uh, and they were recently awarded $13 million for their project in Talbot County. Uh, the FCC has funding available through what's called the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, uh, known as the uh, RDOF program. Uh, in that program, uh, funds are provided through an upcoming auction uh, and uh, they will provide subsidies for 10 years for service to unserved areas, including areas in Maryland. Uh, there are several Maryland uh, providers that are planning to bid in that auction. At the state level, uh, we've made tremendous progress in, uh, in just two years. Uh, we've invested nearly $14 million in 16 counties uh, to connect Marylanders. And we've done this by developing several programs to encourage expansion of broadband. We provided funding to counties to perform feasibility studies uh, to help them understand their problems and uh, what some of their needs are. 
Uh, we provide funding and assistance, uh, as I mentioned, to providers interested in applying for federal funding. Federal dollars brought into the state means fewer Maryland dollars are needed. So that, that's always an attractive uh, uh, pool of money. Uh, we also developed our own internal grant programs. Uh, we have one that's a little smaller. It provides $200,000 per project uh, where we require the local jurisdictions, the counties, to partner with an existing provider who will expand their network into nearby pockets of unserved neighborhoods. Uh, Maryland has a lot of those where if you just went another mile down the road, you could pick up 20 or 30 houses. And that's what that program is really meant to do. Uh, we have a larger grant program that provides between one and $3 million to build new networks where there is no provider in an area. Uh, Charles County, for instance, uh, had uh, three, has three large areas of unserved, er of unserved uh, uh, population, and uh, we just provided them a uh, $2.9 million grant to have a provider uh, construct in those areas. Uh, I think there's around 3,000 households. All of our programs require a match, and that's where local comes in. Uh, many of the, in many cases, the local jurisdictions are providing some or all of the match required for a project. Uh, this is why a partnership between a local jurisdiction and their, uh, uh, their selected provider is so important. There's got to be a level of trust and expectation of success uh, so that the jurisdiction is willing to uh, support the, the project financially. We're always trying to find new methods. Uh, we're actually setting up a meeting with all of the uh, county IT directors or uh, cable administrators that deal with broadband before we, re we release our programs again for this year, just to get their input and make sure that we're on the right path, that we're doing things that they can support. Greg, I have to ask you, I know the first time we talked, I was asking you something and asked for a member of your team. And you said, no, 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 it's just me. And this seems like so much. So how do you do it? Are you are you okay? <laughs> you get so much accomplished. So uh, it, it is just me, but uh, Secretary Holt is very good at uh, uh, allowing me to, I call it mooch off of uh, DHCD and, and their network. Um, I, I actually have a part-time person that uh, helps me do the administration of the programs. Uh, you know, obviously we have payment requests that need to be processed while well, he takes care of that and makes sure that accounting gets all of the paperwork, accounting and, and admin takes care of it. So it, it's just me kind of doing the day-to-day the -day broadband. And then I have a, a kind of a, a invisible support network through DHCD that I can, uh, that I can utilize. But, you know, it, there, there's very few people within the state that understand the program, understand the, the need. Uh, there are people with various levels of interest. Um, you know, with my background coming from USDA, I got to see a lot of different things happening in different states, and that's how I latched on to the, you know, let's bring the local jurisdictions in as partners. That seemed to be some of the best things that I saw happening in the states I was dealing with. You're certainly speaking our language there, Rick, when it comes to working together with the counties, with municipalities, and the state all trying to tackle this issue. I have to ask you, too, I mean, we saw a lot of federal aid come from Congress in the CARES Act primarily. And I know that some of that was dedicated to broadband. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that and what kind of help the feds have provided 
especially in these trying times amid the pandemic? The feds through CARES provided pots of money to a whole lot of different groups uh, that the, the governor, uh, the, the, the governor's office itself got some funding, uh, Department of Ed got funding, counties got funding directly depending on their population. Um, so uh, you start down in St. Mary's County, they're using $3 million of their CARES uh, allotment to incentivize Atlantic Broadband to extend their, their existing network into unserved areas in St. Mary's County. We are then using some of our uh, some of the CARES money that the governor provided to my office, uh, working with the school district to get students who those new lines will pass to make sure that the students that they pass can get service uh, to them if they uh, if they can't afford it themselves. Um, the the governor ultimately, if you add it all together, has provided my office with twenty five million dollars. Um, that money is being used. We used the eight million dollars of it. I mentioned to school districts for the fall to make sure that students can do their online learning. Uh, that involved a whole lot of uh, purchase of hotspots. Uh, if there was an existing service provider there, Comcast, Atlantic Broadband, uh, or whomever, Verizon FiOS, we uh, we allowed the school districts to pay directly for that service out of those grants so that students who did not have a connection could get a connection. Um, you know, we, we left it up to the school districts really to tell us how they could best provide service to their students. And, and we do that a lot. We, we, again, try to talk to, try to partner with, uh, with the various recipients to make sure that what we're doing is uh, something that, that they can work, work with. The, I, I mentioned that was eight million uh, out of the ten, uh, and then there's another fifteen million in the governor's emergency education relief fund, the Gear Fund. Uh, we're using that fifteen million. Uh, we, we're uh, attempting to build a statewide wireless network for education uh, that will be used for K through 12 students who don't have any other uh, means of accessing the internet as well as uh, potentially community college and college students who also have need. Because it is education relief funding, we are, it is restricted to educational use. So this is not, it won't be a commercial network. Uh, people keep saying, well, gee, does that mean that we don't, that we won't have a problem? No, we will still have a problem. Mom and dad still will not be able to log into that network and get to their office. They won't be able to, to do their online banking uh, or other things. So we are still going to need our normal program. But uh, from the, the CARES Act, you know, the, the governor was very generous with $25 million for us, and uh, we're hoping to make good use of it. So, Rick, the, the word that keeps appearing in my mind as you talk about component after component is that whether I don't think this is by design, but it's sort of by necessity. What we've got seems to be a patchwork of uh, we're sort of trying to target the problems as they pop up. And, you know, in the moment, it feels like education and access to to connections for purposes of distance learning has really vaulted to the top of the list. But at various other times, there have been various other things that have that have been, you know, the issue of the moment. And it turns out one agency tries to help here and another entity at maybe a different level of government tries to help there. 
Um, it's not surprising that a role like yours as, as a navigator and coordinator is sort of necessary for, for individuals and for communities who feel like, you know, like your anecdote a moment ago about if we could just extend that cable one more mile, we have you know, scores of people who might benefit from that. Um, having, having you and your office be a, be a facility to help connect those dots um, it, it's a you know it's sometimes it's frustrating to feel like government is full of bureaucracy in that in those ways but in this circumstance we need to gap filler right and and uh, I, I was actually uh, addressing something earlier today and one of the points that was brought up was exactly that how do you re- how do you react to these various uh, issues that come up and because we're a small office, office of one, if you will, uh, it, it helps us stay agile. I, I don't have a bureaucracy that I need to go through. I, I don't need to tell some manager to tell his workers to to look into something. Uh, it, it, you know, I I make phone calls directly. Somebody has a has a broadband issue. Uh, they're they're many times surprised that the, the director of the office is calling, and I say I did say I'm an office of one, but I really do rely on the county, the county IT directors, the county broadband directors, especially when they when there are constituent issues. You know, I I'm very quick to push it off to them. Uh, Again, we're back to making sure the counties have an interest, making sure the counties understand what their constituents want and want done. Trying to stay agile, having one agency, one department, one office responsible for the problem does mean that you don't have piecemeal. Uh, One of the things I will get from the school districts now that we've provided the funding to them is what we're going to be looking for a list of addresses where those hotspots went, because now I have a definitive answer on who does and does not have broadband in some of these areas. Uh, things that in the past you've only been able to rely on self-reporting or reporting from the providers to give you the, that same information. So we're, we're going to leverage that information. And if if it was the Department of Ed doing the funding, it's, that's not something that they'd be looking for. But since it all flows through my office and through DHCD, we can focus on that. Yeah, that, that seems to make a lot of sense to have sort of a, a centralized clearinghouse, if you will. And we've gotten sort of the state perspective from Rick. We'll go ahead and take a break there. I think it's a good spot. When we come back, we will get into how counties plan to help move the ball forward, MAKO's legislative initiative for 2021. We'll talk about how some new emerging technologies can help here or not help. And we'll talk about some interesting programs in other states, all that and more after the break. Stuck inside and feeling helpless about the coronavirus? Wish you could do more to help? Well, here's a simple step that can make a difference for the next 10 years. Just fill out your census at 2020census.gov. The census determines how many vaccines we get, how many hospital beds, and how many school lunches. The more people complete their census, the more federal funding we get for all of those things. Please go to 2020census.gov right now and complete your census. That's 2020census.gov. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson, Drew Jabin, and Kendrick Gordon. He is the one-man show, but does have some support uh, from DHCD. 
to expand rural broadband and really to expand broadband across the state because we've talked about the fact that this is not just a, a rural issue, it is a statewide issue, it is a nationwide issue. And Michael and Drew and Rick, one of the things I, I want to get into, I can't help see these commercials on the weekends, especially I've been watching a lot of football on Sundays, and I see every single commercial, it seems, is 5G, 5G, 5G. It's going to allow us to do this and that. And if you are a, a longtime podcast listener, we've talked a lot about 5G and sort of small cells and what this technology can do. Mako was interested in a bill for a couple years running that the industry put in to sort of expand their 5G access. But of course, local control became a big part of that. Michael and Drew and Rick, I mean, can you talk about, and Michael, I'll go to you first, your perspective on 5G and sort of how this is being advertised as a way to get rid of this quote-unquote homework gap that exists right now. How can 5G help or not help do what we're trying to do to get broadband access to everyone in Maryland? Well, I, th I think one thing that that I think you can notice is I, I, I've seen the same ads that you're talking about, and they're all like the people are breathlessly excited. They've got these really big smiles, and they're all excited about how the 5G, the fifth generation technology, 5G is going to be so much faster and so much more reliable, and it's going to allow so much better stuff. And and then they say things like uh, 5G everywhere, and they show one person's in New York City, then the next picture, oh, there's the, the Golden Gate Bridge, so we're in San Francisco, and then the next person is in Chicago, and then they... They like even go so far as to say, like, maybe it'll be even available in downtown Denver or whatever. They, they don't seem to show anybody who looks like the people in the areas that Rick has been talking about. The parts of the eastern shore of Maryland or even Prince George's County, Maryland, that are not big, built up, high density communities, but are instead spread out and relatively difficult to reach. There's nothing about building small cells, little, you know, little devices that are designed to reach two or 300 feet. There's nothing about that kind of architecture that lends itself especially well to a neighborhood that's an eighth of a mile away from the nearest major thoroughfare. So I'm not sold that 5G and this breathtaking technology really has much of anything at all to do with the homework gap and the, the divide in access that we see today. If anything, it may represent the tech companies doubling down their investment in the built-up areas. The places that already have four bars, we're going to move those folks to five bars and 5G, and the neighborhoods who are further away, even further behind. So uh, I'll warn you, you've, you've just posed a, a technical question to an engineer. So it, it really depends on what you mean by 5G. And to Michael's point, uh, there, there is urban high, high band spectrum, 5G known as millimeter wave. That's, that's what you see them advertising on TV. And that's also where antennas are deployed on every block. And you know that that's of course an, an urbanized nightmare for a lot of our urban communities. But then there's also what's called mid-band 5G, and 
that is much more useful in a rural area uh, and can reach as far as three or four miles, depending on the terrain and, and the obstacles, the trees and whatnot in the way. So 5G is just a wireless standard that describes service de- delivery. Uh, it's got drawbacks just like any other technology. Um, the, uh, the, the deployment of 5G in urban areas has, has driven the discussion. But uh, I, I mentioned earlier our wireless education network. That is going to use 5G spectrum. It's 3.5 gigahertz spectrum as opposed to the millimeter wave, which is a much higher frequency. And you know, so all that 5G means is the ability to deliver service at a higher speed. And in rural areas, any deployment of, of 5G is going to be very welcome, I think, just like any additional service option would be welcome. Uh, it, it just really depends. I, I think the the cellular providers did themselves a slight disservice by focusing on urban areas. Uh, T-Mobile is one of the few they they own, and when they when they picked up the uh, uh, when they picked up Sprint, they got a whole lot more of this midband spectrum that will allow them to expand their rural footprint. So I'm actually looking forward to that, and I'm very happy I don't have to deal with the urban networks at the moment. So there's sure. some room and for I optimism the, there. That's the, good. I should have clarified that you know we are specifically. I think when we talk about 5G, you know we're talking about the deployment of these small cells, and those I think what Michael mentioned are, and you did too, Rick. Those are what are deployed in the urban areas, and you you talked a lot about on the front half incentivizing these providers to invest. It seems to me that you know they wouldn't want to install all these 5G you know, small cell towers in areas that don't have a lot of residents because you're not going to get a return on your investment. So the spectrum, of course, you know, this can get really technical. And I think there is a lot of room for optimism hearing what you just said about the the different capacities when they talk about 5G. But when it comes to the deployment of these small cells, I certainly agree with Michael that I don't think that is the answer in rural areas because, again, I don't know how you could incentivize providers to invest in that sort of infrastructure where they're not going to have a lot of customers and really those small cell towers are designed for very densely populated areas to get that service to a number of different users at the same time. Correct. Drew, I want to go to you now and talk a little bit about what you're seeing in other states. I know you've been working a lot on Mako's initiative and we'll get into that exactly what that's going to say and what we're trying to accomplish. But through your research, what have you found that other states have doing are there any innovative ideas and solutions out there that maybe Maryland can tap into and we can bring home here to help extend internet to, to all of our residents here in the state? Yeah, so I've definitely found so many offerings, um, opportunities that other states have done. There's plenty of things that Maryland can do and there's plenty of things that Maryland cannot do. But a couple that I at least found interesting. So in, say, California, they established a broadband adoption fund. And the purpose of that is basically to assist communities that have limited broadband adoption by providing grants to increase publicly available um, or like after school broadband access. It sounds a lot like a digital inclusion fund, which Mako has been talking about for the last few years when it comes to expanding access to across the state. Right. So I think specifics aside, the idea of trying to gather some resources to help fill in these gaps, like, you know, back to back to Rick's story of if we could just extend one more mile, even if the private private provider 
says, you know, we, we're not mandated to do that. We're not going to make that extension. Um, maybe the state of Maryland can find the wherewithal to say, if, if that's what it takes to find, you know, to find better service for 50 more kids in our public schools, maybe we need to do that. We need to find the resources to 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 bridge that gap and, and build out that extra mile and, and work collaboratively with with the private provider. So, yeah, I, I think I, I think you got to figure out how to dot the I's and cross the T's. But this is an approach that seems intriguing that we might be able to learn from successes in other parts of the country. Definitely. And I, I like the idea that California, they give preference to programs and projects and communities with an already demonstrated low broadband access. So like low income communities, senior citizen communities or communities facing socioeconomic barriers to this broadband adoption, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, it's a really interesting idea. It's about where you get those resources. So it can get in the weeds, but I think generally it's a great idea and it's something that I expect counties and the state to look into moving forward. What else have you seen out there, Drew? that can help us move the ball forward here in Maryland that maybe we could take from another state? So I know a lot of other states, um, Virginia, I know, has one, and Nevada have dig once laws, which basically requires the state to install conduits or the empty pipes that the internet cables run through when they're building or upgrading infrastructure like sidewalks or roads. So you avoid the situation of, Boy, you know, th- this would be a great place to to lay some fiber optic cable. Except, you know, the the the, the it would have been nice if we had done that two or three years ago when they already had all the all the pipes exposed because they were doing water lines or something else. The idea exactly. of once you once you have access, be thinking about technology in addition to whatever else was the order of the day. Rick, do you have any comments there? I mean, I, I know you talk to your colleagues. I know this is probably something that has come up. And it's really about, like Michael just said, forward thinking, right? Trying to think about the future. And we know broadband access to the internet is going to be a big part of our future. So this sounds like something that makes a lot of sense. Don't dig it up again because it's going to cost a lot more money to have to go back and install these pipes. What have you heard from other states, Rick? What do you think about this idea? So I I love dig once. Uh, I I didn't mention it, but I started my career doing public works projects, roads, water, sewer. There was no place where I worked was there a defined dig once policy, but we always looked to see, gee, if we're tearing up this road, is there something else we should be doing at the same time? You know, is there a sewer line that needs to be replaced? Well, you're, you're looking at it from the same perspective now. Uh, a lot of a lot of urban areas are, have dig ones policies or have policies where they'll install conduit for broadband, and then of course with the density they'll turn around and lease that conduit because it, it's a revenue source. In rural areas, it's certainly not a, not nearly a, the revenue source, but it is actually something that that encourages if you can bring a provider in and say, hey we have this asset that we're going to let you use and it's in place now and it's going to it's going to cut your deployment cost in half you've just created the incentive that they may need to go down that road so you know dig once i think is a is a wonderful idea from a statewide perspective there aren't many states that have it statewide there's a lot of uh, communities that have it Interestingly, when you get in, when you start looking at federal funding programs, they don't 
allow their, so uh, USDA, for instance, funds a lot of water and sewer projects. You cannot use their funds to also pay for conduit, at least not today. I know it's something that uh, people are looking at. So there are roadblocks to it, but I, I think it's a great idea. And Drew, talk to me about another, I think, innovative idea that I know you and I have talked about, state tax credits. And this goes back to what Rick has been talking about, incentivizing these providers. This is something that I'm sure a lot of states are interested in and a lot of states do. Tax policy is complicated, but what are you seeing in other states? And is it something that could be applicable here in Maryland? Yeah, I definitely think it could be applicable here in Maryland. And obviously, you you were the tax expert, not me. But I have seen other states that offer something like a 5% tax credit for private companies that purchase broadband equipment or offer uh, tax credits for mobile telecommunications equipment. Michael, this is always a, a hot button topic when it comes to, you know, incentivizing private investment through public funds. I mean, We've heard a lot of proposals for various industries when it comes to what the state is willing to provide in terms of tax incentives. I mean, what do you think about the climate right now here in Maryland and really in every state? I mean, we know that state resources are dwindling because of the pandemic. I mean, is this something that you could see being on the table when it comes to expanding broadband? I, I think I think it's tough to say. I don't I don't think there's a, a simple crystal ball answer there. Um, you'd have to think that a policymaker's sympathy for people left behind in an age where the ability to telework and uh, keep your kids plugged in to schoolwork through the internet, and these things are all so central now. I mean, even if even if you might have felt like this would this is a little bit of an add-on and it's a lifestyle item rather than a necessity, you know, this is. This is more foundational now if it's school children needing to get access to be able to do their classwork. That just feels different than being able to stream Netflix or TikTok or whatnot, right? So just being being a little a little cynical there, I would think the circumstances of the time would make this more palatable. That said, we've talked on the podcast before. Uh, the economics of this public health crisis are their own uh, tough hand being dealt to policymakers as well. So it's not like there's a whole lot of cash lying around in the state coffers with nothing to do with it. So uh, I think I think it's a challenge to weigh those things. Uh, but when you're talking about what increasingly feels like a public service, and something we owe all of our citizens, I, I think a lot of people will hear this out, a little more so than just, this is a fringe idea that could use a little boost. I agree, and I think this does certainly change the narrative. I mean, you mentioned, I think before, a lot of people considered you know, high-speed internet maybe to be a, an add-on. Rick, when it comes to you know, utilities versus non-utilities, I don't want to get in the weeds here, but a lot of counties have cable franchise agreements, right? And the cable companies come in and they want the business and the counties say, look, you need to provide service to all of these areas. But when it comes to broadband, I mean, this is not a regulated utility, right? And I think that's been part of the conversation at the federal level. What do you think in terms of this being part of the conversation moving forward now? Do you think there could be some federal changes that could help to facilitate the expansion of broadband, not just here in Maryland, but 
in every other state. And again, I know it's complicated, but just a, a quick reaction from you, I think, would be really beneficial for our listeners. That's a hard question to answer in a, with a short answer. Um, so I always warn people that come to me and say, well, the franchise agreement says, and I talk to them about extending broadband. And the first thing I have to remind people is the franchise agreement is video carriage. As soon as you mention broadband, they can hang up the phone because that's not what the franchise agreement's for. And the providers are never going to allow it to go into a franchise agreement. In fact, I think the FCC actually prohibits it. That said, boy, we had discussions a number of years ago about whether broadband was a utility or not. It, it, it all comes down to that. Is it a necessity? Should it be treated as a utility? Uh, I, I tend to be leaning in that direction uh, only because I see day to day what it means if broadband is not available. Um, the, uh, the providers do not want it to be treated as a utility because it obviously will mean that they we're, we're starting to get into the telephone and electric utilities and they have to go everywhere. Uh, so it's going to take some really hard thinking and really hard decisions, uh, but it, it, I think it's really going to be a national decision. Uh, if Maryland tried to do it themselves, I think they'd run into a whole lot of issues. So I, I, I don't know. Um, um, we're going to have to wait and see what the feds are willing to, to push. Yeah, I think if, if Maryland tried to do it by ourselves, we would run into that dreaded term preemption, which we know all too well. But I, I agree. And we've talked a lot recently about what the pandemic means in terms of, you know, maybe some positive things. And I think this really could help drive that conversation, Rick, about this is really a necessity and people do rely and need high speed Internet. The pandemic has shown how much and how important it is. And so I agree. I think it, it, it could it could definitely help move the ball forward. Michael, what do you think on this one? You're always plugged in with federal politics and and you know this idea maybe changing the public perception about hey this really is something that we need it's not just some you know luxury that only some people should have or should have access to i i think i'd, I'd probably defer to to rick's judgment i think i agree that if if the the giant change about saying that the the, the conduits for broadband access are delivering a public good in the way we think of electricity and the like. Um, that probably needs to be a broader societal change. It's probably not something that happens just here in Maryland. But I, I want to I caveat, that doesn't leave us without any tools at all. There are a lot of opportunities for carrots. There are a lot of opportunities for partnerships. There are a lot of op opportunities to leverage infrastructure that we already have. Um, all the different funding and programs and assistance that 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 Rick has already mentioned at different levels of government. I mean, he's busy trying to you know trying to work all that stuff together to find patches that we can we can target and areas that we can better serve across our state. I think there's still work to be done here, short of you know nationalizing the railroads, right? I mean, we don't you don't have to go all the way to make some progress on a really important issue. And I think that's that's got to be the county's mentality for the year or years ahead on this. And that is a perfect transition point. 
everybody's been waiting for it. We want to talk about what Mako is going to be looking to do in 2021 when it comes to broadband. So Drew, let's bring all of this together. What have you been working on? Our legislative committee, local elected officials adopted an initiative that Mako will focus on in 2021. Tell us about that and what we can look forward to. Yeah, so again, the pandemic, COVID, has underscored the importance of broadband across the state. It's essential. Um, It's essential to the uh, state's economic development, and a lack of reliable broadband is a huge barrier to socioeconomic opportunity, health, education, quality of life. It just, it penetrates everything. So I've been reaching out to members of the General Assembly, other stakeholders, our MAKO IT affiliate. I do have to give a shout out to them. They've been such an incredibly wonderful resource. I can't wait to continue working with them on this. But at this point, we're keeping it pretty broad. So MAKO will be advocating for prioritizing funding to build out broadband um, access in Maryland, enhancing incentives and orchestrating opportunities for broadband deployment across the state, and leveraging existing resources and infrastructure for broader use. So the point of this is to move the ball forward. It's um, it's about that time of the year before session to really start getting deep into this. Um, so stay tuned. But I'm super excited about where this is going to go. Yeah, and it sounds like, I mean, from our conversation today with Rick, there are a lot of opportunities for partnerships. There are a lot of opportunities now to move the ball forward, but it certainly seems like counties can work with the state, with our federal partners to really do something here. Strike while the iron is hot. Everybody seems to understand that this is a big problem, not just again in rural areas, but in every part of our state. And Rick, I want to give you the last word here. What can counties do right now to help you in in your one man shop, quote unquote, move the ball forward. I mean, what can counties be doing? How can we better work with you to help expand access at this point? So I I think some of the best things they could do is develop their partnerships. Uh, Hartford County, for instance, just put out an RFP asking for partners and they've been interviewing companies to bring them into the county. You know, that's some of the biggest problems the counties have. You know, they're, they're looking at Comcast and saying, well, why won't you? Uh, I think it's much better to try and find someone who is willing to go to the places they need them to go and uh, develop a partnership that, that will allow that to happen. Comcast has been a great partner to some of the counties doing some of these short hops, uh, which is, of course, it, it fits within their business policy. Um, but you, you get into Northern Hartford County, you need somebody who's willing to go up and down those rural roads and provide service. So I think the partnerships are some of the uh, the best things that they could be working towards. And uh, I know a number of other co- counties that are also doing the exact same thing, trying to find their partners. Great advice. And again, uh, it's a common theme here when it comes to counties and, and our initiatives for next year, for sure, is, is partnerships and, and working together as Drew said, to move the ball forward, not just here, but in so many policy areas. And we all know how the pandemic is affecting our everyday way of life. And we're going to be focused, certainly, on those issues in 2021. We'll go ahead and leave it there for today. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all these episodes will be sent directly to you. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and of course, the Conduit Street blog. 
Rick Gordon, thank you so much for joining us today. You are a wealth of knowledge and we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. All right. So for Rick, Michael, and Drew, this is Kevin signing off and we will talk to you soon. 